Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. It's uh, Pecorino Romano. Tarragon as well. Okay. And uh, cricket powder. And cricket powder. So yeah. I'm going in. Let's say a uh, bug appetite. Yeah, <laughs> bug appetite. All right. This is The Zest, citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. I'm Delia Colon, filling in for Robin Sussingham. This week, you know how people are always complaining about how buggy it is in Florida? Well, if you can't beat them, eat them. We're stretching our palate to include some edible insects. Plus, we're taking another look at this country's first Thanksgiving. Historians say there's a good argument to be made that it happened here in Florida. Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at seitenbacher.com. If your idea of adventurous eating is to serve Cornish hens instead of one large Thanksgiving turkey, then how about caviar dotted with black ants or crab with a side of grasshoppers? For Chef Joseph Yoon of New York's Brooklyn Bugs, insects are always on the menu. Yoon recently visited the Museum of Fine Arts in St. Petersburg to present the culinary experience he calls Bugs Giving. The Zest correspondent Janet Keeler stopped by to talk to Yoon about his mission and to try some of those worms and grasshoppers for herself. So tell me a little bit about that name, Bugs Giving. Where does that come from? It really just shows a sense of gratitude and also in just kind of rethinking differently and being able to think about different perceptions. Instead of thinking of bugs just as a pest or a nuisance, to think of them as something that can potentially be delicious, something that is nutritious, edible insects, something that's sustainably farmed and harvested specifically for human consumption. So that that makes me think of, you know, we're in Florida, we have a lot of bugs here, we spend time getting rid of bugs because we don't like them in our kitchens and everything. So we're not really talking about picking up a palmetto bug or a cockroach off the kitchen floor and frying it up. Correct. There are still lots of bugs that bug me out. I don't If I see a bug crawling around in my personal kitchen or in a professional kitchen, those are undesirable, and they are still a pest, and they need to be treated as such. And all the bugs that we're getting are farmed and harvested uh, for human consumption, and they're also processed at FDA-approved facilities. And so these are really carefully procured specifically for human consumption. So talk a little bit about people eating bugs. Uh, to us in, in, in the U.S., we, a lot of us are a little bit squeamish about it, but there's certainly people around the world who eat bugs. 
Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Janet, because 80% of the world's nations uh, currently incorporates insect protein in their diet. So what we're trying to do is break down those stigmas and the sensationalism of eating bugs and really try to present it as food, as an ingredient, and also really place an emphasis that this is not an apocalyptic food or something for poor people or as a last resort, but rather this is a wonderful, responsible, delicious opportunity for us to be able to adopt something that can be delicious, A, be fun, and see something that will like leave something better for future generations. Maybe you try it one time and it's not, it's not to your liking. Maybe your palate has to adjust to it a little bit so that you can start appreciating the flavor a little bit. And you also think about how it's beneficial for not only your health, but the environment. And all these things, when you put it together, and then you're able to try it as real food, not as like a dare, I think that I've witnessed people's reaction transform at an event where they're a little timid and they see the bugs on top or mixed in with the food. They're like, I don't know if I could eat that. And as they hear the presentation or and then they start eating the food and then they move up to each dish and progressively like get more like daring or more courage. And that transformation is almost it it makes me tingle a little bit even to share this with you because as a chef, we try to share meaningful gastronomical experiences that ideally are, are somewhat healthy and provides nutrition for people. But to be able to psychologically be able to work, feed somebody and give them a sense of like courage and accomplishment where just say a lot of the people that at Bugs Giving may choose to eat the Manchurian scorpion. And if I did it as the first course, they might skip it like, no, no, no. But you know, we work, they work up to it. And I feel like later in the week, I'll be like, so, LaShonda, what did you do this week? And she's like, I ate a scorpion. And just to give that kind of, of triumph and just witnessing that kind of transformation where people feel proud, they kind of like, are like, mmm, I did it, chef. I was able to work through the menu. I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And just the way the food, and, and it's just such an incredible experience for me to see and witness and be a part of that for people. But how do you get us over that visceral reaction of like eating bugs? It's just, there's just something about it that's hard for a lot of us. So how do you help us get over that, that squeamishness? Yeah, so a big part of trying to get over the squeamishness is really this integration culturally, gastronomically, scientifically, through education. Culinarily speaking, how to get over the squeamishness. I don't even like saying that where I'm stumbling even <laughs> saying it. And so our focus is on the fun and deliciousness of edible insects. Sometimes you want to hide the bugs in ground powder so you don't even have to look at it or think about it, but you're getting the, the nutrition and the protein. A lot of people, they want to see the bug because I'm eating a bug, so I want to see it. So then you could ha put the bug on top of the dish. I have not eaten a bug. 
So At least never, not on purpose. Sure, you know, maybe right. I had a gnat fly in my mouth, right, while biking or something like that. But I haven't. So, so you you have some dishes here. Um, so over here we have cricket gougeres, and gougeres are a sort of like a French cheese puff. And I just think this is like a really great intro dish because you don't actually see the bug in the gougere, and it's just a nice, easy popper. It's very pleasant. And most people's first reaction with eating insects is that I feel like they're going to expect it to taste off-putting or disgusting. And as a chef, I need my food to taste good, and I have to taste everything. Otherwise, I won't serve it. So shall we? Okay, so this okay. is a this is a gougere, which is a French little cheese puffy puff. thing, cheese yeah. puff. So what so kind of cheese? It's a uh, pecorino romano. Okay, and uh, it has a uh, tarragon as well. Okay, and uh, cricket powder. And cricket powder. So yeah. I'm going in. Let's say a uh, bug appetit. Yeah, <laughs> bug appetit. All right. So I've had gougeres before, and I've made mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So I would say I don't particularly taste anything super different right now. It tastes. Um, I taste the tanginess of that cheese mm-hmm. for sure yeah. and the pastry is nice and you know that hollow and slightly chewy kind of thing. yeah what i think of is like there's a a note of nuttiness mm-hmm. and and sure i could make it more crickety <laughs> right but what am i trying to do right now i'm trying to introduce people to insect protein and show how delicious it can be so should I eat one of these dried crickets? Well, this is like a very tiny little cricket. This is a it's roasted. Not, this is a roasted cricket. A roasted cricket. And so, and it's shelf stable, so you know you could get it at grocery stores, and they're actually at a lot of grocery stores as well. It feels like sometimes crunchy things that you get on salads Salad. and other things. Well, yeah, that's why. That's why yeah. it's like as a crouton sort of application, or even putting on top of stuff. And now, as it kind of sits on the palate, I feel it more roasty. I feel like that that deeper flavor to it. And the interesting thing with the insects that I've noticed is that they don't always just have one note. And they have a beginning flavor, middle flavor, and a finishing flavor. Kind of like when you drink wine um, and you describe dry wine. It's not the wine actually is dry, but it's the finishing, what how it finishes on your palate. And would it have to, like they have with wine, would it have terroir? And would it pick up the, wherever the insect is raised, it would pick up the, the, the properties of the soil, of the air, of just the area? So 100%. it would be different that way. Because if you think about the gastrointestinal tract of these bugs, they're, 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 they're quite small. And so what they eat and what they consume, it's going to have a big impact on sort of their, their flavor profile. Um, so... 100 percent yes yeah 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 so let's go on to this next okay so this next one is a very playful dish um and it features super worms and grasshoppers uh with honey crisp apple and it has a greek yogurt honey and it also has bee pollen and the interesting thing with honey uh sometimes when i'm at events uh i don't mention the honey and i go and we have bee vomit People are like, ew, what's that? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, honey, maybe. And they're like, what? I'm like, well, I mean, honey is the byproduct of bee regurgitation. And so it's just like that person. You're really laying it on now. I, I am laying it on right <laughs> I don't mean to be so off-putting about honey because I love honey. But it's just like it's a demonstration of how just rephrasing something or just for people to – 
just like appreciate like what they're actually eating and they're so I mean is eating bugs so like weird if you consider eating bug vomit <laughs> So I should take a piece so, of yeah, this, piece make sure and, I get some of the guy. you can get as much or as little as, as you want. Okay. Um, and, uh, Here yeah. we go. Okay. Bon app- oh, bug appetit. Bug appetit. <laughs> so I taste, I taste a lot of honey there on that first bite. Mm-hmm. And the, bu- oh. Now I feel like I'm having some sort of spice in there. Not a spicy thing, but now I I know it's not honey, so it's, and it's not apple, so that's the that's the superworm. Uh, no, you got the grasshopper in that one. I don't know yet. My grasshoppers yeah. from my superworms. <laughs> that's right. I'm Janet. getting there. I'm getting there. Um, and maybe try the. I, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the flavor of the. If you scoop that one with these guys here, okay. Yeah. And these are the superworms. I can't wait to hear what you think of the flavor. Just you, so you know, there's three of them on here, so I'm not shying away. Much crunchier. Am I noting any kind of chocolate? Maybe a, a, a little chocolate. There's um. Mm. There's Help a, me here. What is it? There's a heavy note of uh, cheesiness that mm. I get. You're right. Right? And sometimes it's hard to place it because you don't think mm-hmm. of... You're like, what does this bug taste like? And we're trying to put new categorizations how we're going to describe these flavors yeah and i still search for ways and new ways to like describe some of these flavors sometimes um but that's almost part of the fun but you know you're right on that with that super warm having a cheesy taste so of course it pairs really well with the apple and with yogurt because we often like on a cheese board you'll have that like a really nice aged cheddar which it has that depth of flavor to it so that makes perfect sense that it goes with that so let's try this one. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what so this is. This is black ants with cocktail shrimp and a cucumber. Black ants have formic acid as a defense mechanism, and um, that gives it a sort of citrusy note. But because they're of the ground and everything, it also has like a little bit of a more of a uh, earthier citrus sort of note to it. Mm. Um, and so because of that, I like to pair it with seafood. Um, you can eat it with or without sense. the cucumber. I'm going um, to try it without. Okay. And then, you, yeah. And I shall do the same. So now, mm, I do taste a little citrus there. If you want to just try a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. And they're a little spikier, these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know I'm eating bugs. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad, a bad thing. Oh, Wow. So when you taste just one, it pops. Just one little one little ant. It's super. It, it really does pop. You really get the flavor to it, and it's like almost like a little burst of citrus. You're right. I didn't put any lemon in. I didn't squirt any lemon on the shrimp. And when you ate it, you probably. I mean, to me, I just think it's like a just a well prepared cocktail shrimp, and it's and it's a balance of flavors created by the formic acid in the ant. Um, but when you eat it, it's not like, oh, I taste like the ant. It just like kind of blends with like the food. And yeah. it's like a composed dish or idea. Mm-hmm. Like, are you eating? We're going to get that sophisticated, right? So we'll know. Is it super worms or is it these neat little ants? Yeah. So let's see. What is this? Okay. So here we have, um, I mean, sometimes I, I try to 
hit people's comfort spot, like I was telling you. And so here we have mealworm mac and cheese bites. So we made just these delicious mac and cheese, like delicious mac and cheese, and then we bread it with panko crumbs. And so it's just like nice, easy bites. Well, a couple bites. And um, and then we, we put some uh, green god. It's like just like an herbaceous sort of sauce on top of it just to brighten it up a little bit. Um, but the, I mean, this one is... Oh, yeah. This is really not for the... You know, I know you don't like this word, but not for the squeamish on this one. Only because they kind of poke out of there. But mm. there's nothing about it that would make me not want to take another bite. Mm. Oh, good. Okay, so now on my very, I'm a, I'm a, my last dish I'm going to try here, and it just looks to me like some cute little brownie bites. So tell me about that. <laughs> uh, that just, um, so we have cricket chocolate brownies, and we use cricket protein to uh, cricket powder to to add to the mix. But then we also added the crickets, and how you noted that they were roasted and had like a little nuttiness to it. So instead of adding walnuts or nuts, we add uh, whole crickets as well as the cricket powder. Mm, these are good. Oh, thank you. Just the brownies in general. A little bit, a little bit chewy, but I've, there's a little crunchiness in there, and I see what you mean now. It almost feels like it's taking the place of nuts. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that's the goal, really. Mm-hmm. And it's really... Well, those are good. Oh, thank you. It's really just trying to present this as delicious food. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you, I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us and uh, giving me my first taste of bugs. So I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be my last, though very impressed. Janet, thank you so much for coming and sharing our story. And uh, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Janet, you are one brave woman. That was the Zest correspondent Janet Keeler speaking with Chef Joseph Yoon of Brooklyn Bugs. You'll find photos of some of his dishes at thezestpodcast.com. Forget Pilgrims, Pumpkins, and Plymouth. The first Thanksgiving feast took place in Florida, not Massachusetts. That's according to historian Rodney Kite-Powell of the Tampa Bay History Center. He spoke to the Zest host Robin Sussingham about why Florida deserves credit for the first Thanksgiving. We all learned, you know, that the first Thanksgiving took place in Plymouth uh, Mm -hmm. between the Pilgrims and the Indians. So now we hear that could have actually, the first Thanksgiving may have actually taken place in Florida. How it really makes the most sense to explain the idea of a Thanksgiving, that first Thanksgiving, and so the idea of thanking God for safe travel and arrival and for this kind of the ability to kind of keep on living um, occurred here in Florida before uh, it occurred in Plymouth, actually several years, 56 years before the 1621 uh, Pilgrim Thanksgiving. And that took place in St. Augustine, and it was on September 8th, 1565, and it was uh, led by several different Spanish priests. It was all part of the expedition of Pedro Menendez de Aviles, and there were around 800 crew members who were part of that. And so uh, a variety of people, not just Spaniards, but people from, from all over Europe who were part of that, that crew um, to, to try and uh, create a settlement in Florida, which was successful. 
Well, who were they having Thanksgiving with? So it was the <laughs> people that were on the ship, the explorers, I guess mainly Spaniards, but you said other yep. people who had, mm-hmm. other sailors, I guess, who had come from elsewhere. And then who were the Native Americans? What was the tribe then? So they uh, they actually did invite the uh, the Native group that was in the St. Augustine area. They're known as the Saloy. And they uh, they did take part in this ceremony, and so there's actually a description of it. That's uh, one of the priests, Father Lopez, um, uh, recounted later that as the ceremony was progressing, the native people uh, imitated everything that they saw the uh, the Spaniards and the other congregants doing, and so they didn't know you know what was going on because they couldn't, of course, speak the language, and they'd never seen a religious practice like that before, um, but. At least, it, it appeared they were showing, you know, some form of respect to it by by imitating what they saw. So why didn't that become our first Thanksgiving? Why do we have the story of the pilgrims uh, instead? Well, the same reason why um, we don't think about a lot of things as being firsts uh, here in Florida, but in fact they are those firsts, and that's because this was a Spanish celebration, and the uh, the Puritans and the, the what we think of as a traditional first Thanksgiving and the founding of Thanksgiving was English. And we, we the United States, grew out of the 13 English colonies. And so, the, you know, Florida history, Spanish history, uh, even French history, those stories are, just weren't maintained as the, the history of our country was being written in the 19th century. And oh, so that was kind of the aborted history because they were from they weren't from England. Exactly. So the English history, uh, English stories, won out in general over those those non English stories. Um, so you still had you know things like Ponce de Leon and, and 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 those little facts, but but some of the great details and some of those other great stories like. Uh, potentially the first Thanksgiving occurring in St. Augustine, those just get shuffled away uh, because it doesn't follow the English narrative. Describe to me, what do you think it looked like? What what was the ceremony like? What was that Thanksgiving like? So it, the, the ceremony was religious. It was a Catholic ceremony. It was actually, there was a feast day on the day that they arrived, and it was the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so it was a, a Catholic ceremony uh, of Thanksgiving. And they would have had a meal afterward. And since they just arrived, uh, they had the the foodstuffs that were on board the ships for the journey across the Atlantic Ocean. And so um, they had hardtack, which is you know really really hard crackers basically, um, kind of a stew that would have been made of uh, garbanzo beans and pork, um, not you know like Spanish bean soup, but it was called cocido. But it was maybe kind of precursor to a, a soup that we'd be more familiar with. And they would have had red wine, and so uh, wine would have been part of it. And the the one thing that isn't known is if the Saloy actually brought food to the occasion. So that's you know the part of the Thanksgiving story with the Plymouth uh, Colony, of course, is that they were starving, and the the native people had to had to help them. But if in fact there was food brought by the native Floridians. It would have included the animals that were here, uh, turkey and, and deer, and even gopher tortoise, um, plus lots of fish, because again, you're, you're on the shore. And so the estuary in St. Augustine would have supplied you know, trout and redfish, um, all kinds of other things. And then there was corn here. Um, as well as beans and squash. And so you may have had a, something that we would resemble as a pumpkin. So we might have had those some of those traditional Thanksgiving 
uh, foods, but what the Spanish would have brought wouldn't have been the delicious Spanish foods we think of, really. It would have been things that had made a long ocean crossing and maybe weren't so good. Exactly. So, yeah, the, 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 the offerings that the Spanish really had, and that's, again, they, probably the, would have been the majority of, of, of a, a feast that they would have had on this, this particular feast day, uh, would have been the things that um, can survive a long ocean journey. So salt, pork, and, uh, and hardtack, and, again, wine uh, would have really been the main features of that table. Yeah, the wine might have been good. <laughs> well, you need that for the hard tack and the salt pork. So, how long did it take? How long did that trip take from Spain? Um, th- actually, the, the the thing with the Pedro Menendez de Aviles expedition is their intent was twofold. They wanted to to create a permanent settlement uh, somewhere in Florida, and, and particularly on Florida's east coast. But they wanted to do so because there was a French settlement near what is now Jacksonville that had been established the year earlier. So they actually came over pretty quickly, as quickly as they, they could, because they wanted to try and route out that French settlement. And so uh, I believe it took uh, a month and a half or so to, to cross uh, the ocean. But almost immediately after this Thanksgiving that they had, they then uh, went to war with the French here in Florida and defeated them and uh, and kicked them out of Florida and, and really reestablished Florida as a, a Spanish territory. How do we know there wasn't a Thanksgiving, a Spanish Thanksgiving before that? When was Hernando de Soto or Ponce de Leon, when were they here? So the, the, both those expeditions, and there actually were, were others, uh, did predate the um, Pedro Menendez de Avila's expedition. And so you've got the, the first credited uh, arrival in Florida of the Spanish uh, in 1513 uh, with Juan Ponce de Leon. But we do know that there were Spaniards that were here before that, but uh, we don't know who specifically. Uh, and then there was a man named Panfila de Narvaez who was actually in the Tampa Bay area in 1528, uh, followed by De Soto in 1539. And then even an attempt to settle what is now Pensacola in um, 1559. So we're this is the, the year that we celebrate the 460, 460th anniversary of that attempt. And there, there may, you know, there may actually have been similar celebrations of Thanksgiving, but they weren't documented. And so, this this is the documentation that uh, was found actually by a former Florida historian. He's recently passed away, uh, Michael Gannon. Um, he's the one who really found the story of this first Thanksgiving in uh, St. Augustine. And did he publish it? Uh, he he actually did. It was um it was published in a, I believe in a newspaper, and this was years and years and years ago, and it was leading up to the days of Thanksgiving, like we are now. Um, he actually it, it made the national press, and he got calls from all over the country, including from uh, folks up in the Northeast, who were furious at him. Um, he was even came to be known as the, the Grinch who stole Thanksgiving, and he kind of reveled in that because I think he, he he enjoyed finding out these new interesting details of Florida history that we just hadn't talked about before. Well, Rodney Kite Powell, thank you so much. Another interesting story. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I love chatting about Florida history. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to The Zest. It's free and easy. You can search for us wherever you get your podcasts or at thezestpodcast.com. I'm Dalia Colon. Robin Sussingham will be back next week. 
Robin and I produced The Zest, and this week we had help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, Craig George, and Brian Meehy. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media. Thank you.